Hello, everyone. Welcome to the final day of the Art and Market Conference, Pivot, the Southeast Asian art world beyond COVID-19. My name is Nadia, and I'm the editor of Art and Market. Over the past week, we have been speaking with stakeholders from the Southeast Asian art world about how they are innovating to deal with the curveballs emerging from the COVID-19 pandemic, from immediate safeguards to long-term plans. For our final panel, we are asking this question. How will art collecting agendas evolve? As a consequence of massive economic shocks engendered by governmental responses to contain COVID-19, we have seen a marked cutback in activities in the physical art world. While there may be a rise in marketplace opportunities, the paper value of art collections simultaneously hangs in the balance. Our panel of collectors will talk about their desire and strategies for collecting today and how they aim to move forward in their multiple roles to support their communities. Before we begin, I would like to thank everyone for spending the next hour with us. If you have a question to ask a panelist, you can type it out anytime in the Q&A box at the bottom of your screen, and we will get to them at the end during the question and answer segment. Now, I am pleased to introduce the panel. Just give me a minute here to open up everything. Okay. So we have with us today, um, Kim Camacho. Hi, Kim. Hi, Nadia, how are you? Hi, I'm good. And we have Patrick Sun as well, founder and executive director of Sun Pride Foundation. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Nadia, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you fine. And Ryan Sue, Head of Art and Cultural Property Law at WMH Law Corporation and the founder of the Ryan Foundation. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hi. Thank you very much for being on the panel today. And here's to a fruitful discussion. Yes. Cheers. Discussion. Okay, so let's dive right in. Um, what keeps you collecting art? And has the COVID-19 pandemic changed or intensified your reasons for doing so? Ladies first. We can start with Kim. Um, okay. Yeah, what keeps you collecting um, art all these years? And has the pandemic changed or intensified your reasons for doing so? I collect art for the joy of it. Mm -hmm. For the joy and satisfaction of owning intellectually stimulating, beautiful, interesting things. I've always told my husband, stocks and bonds do nothing for me. <laughs> so it's been a great passion of mine from a long time ago. And uh, so it's, it's something that I love. It's a passion that I share with the rest of my family, with a lot of my friends, a lot of my uh, colleagues in the art world. And uh, because my husband and I love art so much, we have two children who are artists hmm. yeah that sounds great and um has the pandemic changed or intensified your reasons for wanting to collect art not really i think it's remained the same hmm. it's only um put a damper on uh, our being able to share the art that we have at home because we've transformed our home into a into our own museum and we love having people come over and look at the art and explain the art to them. And uh, obviously under these conditions now, it's 
very difficult to have uh, people come. Yeah. And also we la enjoy lending to museums for exhibitions. And uh, that has been affected. Like uh, we have two artworks which were supposed to go, two kusamas which were supposed to go to Martin Brokius Pau in Berlin for an exhibition starting this August. And that one, I, I think it's not pushing through anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's the other thing that, uh, it, other way that our collection's been affected. But other than that, passion's still there. Love for art still there. Like Brian and Patrick. <laughs> I don't think they can, this COVID can snuff it out. No. Um, I think that's what you share with the um, other panelists as well. I mean, Patrick and Brian, you're all about sharing your art as well, right? With your friends, with your communities. Could you talk more about that, Patrick? Uh, well, I'm so envious of what uh, Kim just said, you know, uh, she collects art for enjoyment. I, I, I do that too, but uh, to a large extent, my collection is for the Senpai Foundation. And we have a mission, which is to foster a stronger, healthier, and more equitable world for the gay community in Asia. So that is a very long-term goal and is not uh, being affected uh, by anything like uh, COVID-19. Uh, if anything, the recent slowdown of life allows us to liaise with different institutions uh, on a closer basis. So um, uh, that's what we've been doing. And if it affects us, it's more in the planning of say our next uh, exhibition. Uh, for example, if we do an opening, you know, Ryan came to our last opening in Bangkok. We have like almost a thousand people packed back to back at the Bangkok Art and Culture Center. So that is something uh, which we cannot imagine nowadays. So we do something like that. We have to do a contingency plan, you know. And also if we do another exhibition, we would have to plan for a digital version. So these are things that we have in mind. And what about for you, Ryan? I think uh, the pandemic has just made us think deeper. I mean, we are one of the, with the Ryan Foundation, we're one of the, the very few, a few lucky organizations that hasn't had to like fire people or to furlough people or, or anything like that. And I think these decisions should not be taken lightly. Uh, so we have managed to go through, we are very fortunate, uh, we, we always plan exhibitions for the public to attend and of course a thing that we always fight for is that the public attend for free, we've always insisted that. So we've, we've had exhibitions that had to be pushed back because of the pandemic, but uh, I think it's a really good time for, for us to recalibrate and also uh, we had a big show last year in January at the National Museum. We had Lucy Liu. I mean, Patrick was there at the opening. I think through the show, we had like 26,000 people come thereabouts. And, and, and it was free. So we, we want to replicate that. But maybe the viewing of art can't be in person for, for quite a while. And the digital doesn't seem to be a good substitute in the current state of technology. So everyone really has to, to innovate and to think of ways to, to somehow make art accessible now, not just like simply like sending PDFs or, or trying to upload exhibition documentation online, it, it, because it's not, it's not uh, immersive, it's not, yeah. it's not a, it's, you can't replicate seeing art in real, I'm sure Kim in, in real life, I'm sure Kim and Patrick have their views on that as well. Yeah, sure. And I mean, right now, you know, you're kind of confined to your homes and your offices, um, if you're allowed to go back to work. Um, have you discovered anything new about your own art collection as you spend more time at home? Or at least the pieces you have displayed in your home? 
Yes. Um, like what we did was we started uh, rehanging okay. and recurating some of the works at home um, because we recently acquired a rare 1997 oil infinity nets oh. of uh, Kusama. So we put that up um, and uh, we then did a little um, space for our small but growing collection of Titian shoes works. Mm -hmm. So that, uh, that's what we did during this um, lockdown. I've not been out of the house since March 8th. Would you believe I've not stepped outdoors at all? So, so we've been in lockdown with our two artist children, uh, Bea and Lorenzo. And so it's been a joy also having them and uh, giving them giving them the opportunity to give us art lectures. <laughs> so it's been a wonderful learning experience. Plus our daughter is an architect and she's now designing a structure that will come up in our farm, which will hold an artist, uh, re resident artist studio mm. and uh, a library and um, an additional art storage room because our art storage right now is bursting at the seams. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so that's what we've been doing indoors while, while this COVID is uh, around us. Yes. Of course, what started first was uh, helping mm -hmm. uh, all the healthcare workers. So we raised funds for artists as well who were who were in need financially, and then the healthcare workers we attended to by donating um, N95 masks. We started our own little factory here for making face shields and donated 3,000 face shields to 13 hospitals. We uh, uh, gave away PPEs that uh, our, our friends, uh, seamstresses made. Um, we fed the healthcare workers lunches in the government hospitals so that came first and uh, then the art now that this quarantine period is extending we have more time for the art that sounds all amazing and what about for you Patrick has art been a solve for you at this time uh, yes in fact um, I'm gonna change my background to show a, a okay. work recently acquired. Uh, Ryan and I were talking today and we're both shopping for furniture. So like Kim, we want to redecorate our house. We've been there too long. We got a little time. <laughs> the present decoration. Uh, I, so I'm rehanging my works and uh, reconfiguring the display. Uh, but there are some logistic problems caused by the pandemic. For example, some works from New York just cannot be shipped to Hong Kong. I've been waiting for a few months and likewise we have some works that needs to be done uh, mounted in Beijing and that's not possible so yes there has been a lot of inconvenience but talk about South you know this is the painting I want to show you and my bag is a uh, is a work I recently acquired online you know from an American artist David Wojnarowicz uh, he's a, a gay artist and who passed away uh, in 1990s um, he uh, the painting was done at the height of the AIDS pandemic. Now, the title is Plane Crash and is uh, talking about the issues of urgency and desperation during the AIDS crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, but what gives me hope is that after so many years, 
HIV positive has changed from a fatal a death sentence to something now is more like a manageable illness. So in a way, give me hope that all this will pass. So that's, uh, that's the, the salvation I could seek from artworks. Yeah, definitely. And what about for you, Ryan? So you've also been looking to purchase things online? I've been looking at auctions and some galleries. I've been in some auctions, not successful, but we help them uh, increase their business because we are under bidder. So, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so uh, uh, we've been, I think I've been very busy at the start of, of the lockdown. Uh, in Singapore, it wasn't called lockdown, it was called something like circuit breaker. Uh, for the people not, not from Singapore. So at the start, uh, I was very busy helping artists and other people in the in the in the ecosystem who were having problems paying their rent of who whose landlords wanted money from them. But it's a different system in, in Singapore than other countries. In Singapore, the government gives the landlord money and the landlord has to pass the money on to the tenants. And, and this is something that we're dealing with. It's, it's, it's different everywhere, but in Singapore, the, it's, it's money that should go to the tenants. So I've been uh, going out and, and, and helping people with, with their problems. So that, that kept me very busy at, mm. the, at the start of this. Yeah. yeah. That sounds good. And, you know, before the COVID-19 pandemic, had you guys purchased artworks online without having seen them in person? Yeah. Yes, of course. Um, even before the internet, we already got used to purchasing artworks um, without seeing them because we, we used to buy from catalogs also. Uh, but now it's... Uh, it's easy to find, it's easier to find works mm -hmm. during art fairs online yeah. because it's very efficient. You can, there, there's a search function. Yeah. So you can put the name of the artist you're looking for and it can show you the galleries that they're at, etc. So you, you, it's efficient because you, can, you don't have to walk around so much and see everything to be able to find what you want. But at the same time, it's not, all satisfying because there's nothing like having the genuine McCoy in front of you. Yeah. You know, that's when you would really begin to appreciate the impact of the piece and uh, whether it speaks to you or you can think about it, feel the art, do whatever in front of it. And it's uh, difficult when you're just looking at a small picture. True. Especially me, I don't even use the iPad or computer or laptop. I do everything from my phone. Mm. So you can imagine the images are so small. The other thing that I, I believe is going to be affected is the kind of artwork that will sell well during these COVID times. Because not all artworks show well online. You know, you can't feel the texture, you can't really appreciate the uh, depths of color or um, um, some shades that disappear maybe. So it's, it's very different. And that is a pity because that will affect uh, very good artworks which don't show beautifully online. Yeah, you're right. Um, but on that note, um, have you guys discovered any new artists, galleries, or projects that intrigue you? 
during this pandemic while staying at home? Well, um, if I may jump in, um, there is a, a recent project that I'm uh, very proud to be part of it, uh, which is uh, uh, the Felix Gonzalez Torres Fortune Cookies Corner. And it's an old work. I love that. that pops out in your background just like that, like magic. <laughs> <laughs> I think the words are in reverse, but I can read to you later. Uh, this is a project that uh, Andrea Rosen and David Swerner initiated, you know, uh, an old work, again, done during the time of the uh, AIDS pandemic. And using this work, you know, to talk about uh, regeneration, um, rebirth, uh, and it's quite uplifting, and I feel privileged to be part of it. So basically, they ask you to put a pile of fortune cookies, you know, and uh, everyone's uh, uh, feel free to pick a piece or more than one piece, and then you see your fortune. Uh, the requirement is that for all of us participants in this project, all the messages inside have to be positive and uplifting. Uh, so, so, for example, like this one says, um, uh, the, I can read reverse, but I can read to you later. So, it's all good messages, like say something like... Uh, I think I can see it on mine. It says, be the energy you want to attract. Right, isn't that wonderful? This is what we all should aspire to. <laughs> so, uh, we put it in my, uh, one of my uh, uh, office uh, lobbies and, uh, and people picked it up and they feel enlightened. So. This is a project that intrigued me and I, I, I found very, very uh, uplifting. I, I like that you said, you know, they can just pick it up because it is a pick-me-up, like, you know, for your spirit as well. So, yeah, it's perfect that way. Um, yeah, you know, all the people walking by, some people would ask me, why don't you put it in a basket? Why don't you give it to us hand-to-hand? -hand? But of course, it's the artist's iteration. So, you know, this is the way it should be. Something very casual, almost like representing how life is, you know, is. Uh, Life is uh, something very casual, and yet we should treasure every moment. Um, what about for you, Ryan? Have you discovered any new artists, guys, or projects? I mean, there's a proliferation of you know new things to be seen online. I, I've not really discovered anything because it's so busy with work. But what I've been doing is that I've been very uh, active on Instagram and looking at what's happening in the US now and and some of the artists and curators who are very vocal I'm, I'm trying to educate myself and to learn about the challenges that, that people face around the world with with issues and I think that that refines like our vision and our mission to make art accessible to the public and and we we have a message and and we want the public to to, to see art, to enjoy art, but also to through art to, to learn about what's what's happening around them. So I've besides where I've been educating myself and, and we're together with Adrian, we've we've been very interested in what's happening. Definitely. And do you think yes, Patrick? Yes, and, and I remember uh, Nadia mentioned proliferation, you know. Uh, I'm sure Kim and Ryan would agree with me. We do get bombarded with so many emails, <laughs> invitation for virtual uh, experience online and all that. It's uh, overwhelming. Uh, and we have to be very, very selective. And likewise with correspondence, you know, like this week is Art Basel week. We have so many emails, you know, I get typically from one gallery, you get like email before the show opens. Uh, one to tell you VIP opening, one during the show opening, and then now today for the public opening. It's just too many. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, right? I'm sure you agree with me. And I remember like when we used to get emails, say, you know, opening with Dear Patrick, you know, I said, oh, it's nice. They, they, they are addressing <laughs> to me. But 
now that is not going to cut it. You know, if you send an email, you, you have to personalize, personalize it even more. Like maybe if you remember, like uh, a Kim collects Yayoi Kusama, you should isolate the particular work from Kusama that Kim would enjoy. Or, you know, for me, maybe like an LGBT artist. So I think maybe the garage would have to do a little bit more. So that's the point I would like to make. <laughs> that's true. I mean, on that note, have you received any like amazing sort of invitation? Because uh, I, I saw someone sent me uh, like a media preview and they said they would send me tea at the same time you know, to accompany the media preview. Um, so I thought that was quite innovative. And you're right that it has to be way more personalized to get people's attention because they can't shower you that attention in, in real life, right? So but on the other hand, the good thing is that we do get all these invitations. We can choose which one we want to go to. I mean, there were shows like uh, in very peripheral area that we didn't plan on going, but now we get to see them, you know, like, um, I mean, even like House and Work did a virtual experience uh, visiting the Mallorca gallery, you know, so I'm glad I, I, I participated in that. Uh, and, and at the same time, they're also like old shows, you know. Uh, recently, Parasite has a show uh, that the curator represent. So take us through the exhibition over again. So that's something that, um, you know, that was not possible before. Maybe not impossible, but just that we didn't have the time, you know, to, to do that. And now we do. Yeah, you're right. I've been seeing lots of um, galleries, you know, talk about how things are from the vault or revisiting old exhibitions. Um, have you guys enjoyed that as well, Kim and Ryan? Have you been looking at that? Because I'm seeing a lot of that on Instagram, right, Ryan? Yeah, I've been uh, looking at the fairs online, all the exhibitions, etc. But um, it doesn't really bring me a lot of satisfaction. I one thing I was able to discover was a rare takis from um, an auction house in Paris, mm -hmm. which I was able to win, fortunately. And uh, I don't, thank you. I don't know if that would have come up ordinarily. It's, I, I, was there, I expected much less competition, mm. but it sold for maybe... Um, uh, 10 times or something, the, uh, the estimate. Yeah. So I, I didn't expect the strong competition during this time. Right. That's but I, I was very glad that it became available. Yes. So that, that's the thing now. People are saying that uh, during these COVID times, some unusual or rare artworks, which you normally will not see, will come up. Mm. So I've been quite vigilant and always on the lookout for something like that. Yeah. I wonder if it's because people are at home and they're kind of like, you know, decluttering or like finding things out that's available at home and kind of sending it to auction as well. Um, but I wanted to pick up on what you said earlier about how the work went for 10 times the, the estimate. Um, and, you know, Ryan, earlier you were saying that you've been in on the action for auctions, but then you've been the underbidder. Um, why do you think it is, you know, that this is the trend right now? Are people, you know, bored at home and they want to, you know, still um, engage with art? And what, what do you think it is? I think it's because, oh, sorry, Ryan. No, no, like no, Kim, go ahead. Kim, yeah? your story is it's, so interesting. It's because people um, are hungry for art. It's amazing, you know, in Singapore, they had a survey and people listed art as the most non-essential occupation of all occupations. 
Yeah. Whereas in other countries, like um, Germany, for example, in Prenzlauerberg, where we have an apartment and where our artist's son lives, they even held a balcony art exhibition mm. with 50 artists exhibiting from their balconies, curated, all done very well with a guide even for you that tells you when you should look up. So people were so hungry for art that they had to come up with a way to share it with people. Yeah. I know. We I all think the, the, the demand is very high now yeah. for art somehow. Yeah, I agree. So what did you want to say, Ryan, earlier? I wanted to say that, so going back to, to the auction, actually we were bidding for some items in an auction in a Paris auction house, like, like what Kim mentioned. And uh, we were also looking at some items from uh, the late fashion designer Yves Saint Laurent, who uh, happens to have items on sale again. And we never expected that. Uh, so we were looking at some of that. Uh, I mean, when I started learning how to be an art lawyer back some time ago, <laughs> uh, they always say art goes for sale uh, because of the three Ds. Death, divorce, and debt. But maybe now disaster. So, so, so maybe that's why a lot of good pieces are coming out on sale and you might think like nobody buys them, but the demand is still very high. I mean, for this season, whenever we look at the Paris auctions, we are going into this summer season where, 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 where France is on vacation and we expect bidding to have, uh, to drop or to have low interest on the lots, but it's not true. Uh, very, very high demand. So that's particularly uh, interesting for us. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I read somewhere that because of the uh, vast amount of money that the federal bank is injecting into the economy, uh, you know, some people are investing in art. I mean, of course, like the million dollars, <laughs> not the newer artists, but you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good uh, direction too. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, in our galleries panel, um, the galleries were talking about how the online platform is really great for encouraging first-time buyers uh, because it's a little less intimidating. Do you think that is the case as well? I mean, we, you guys were all um, beginning collectors at some point. So do you think that, you know, that holds true? Well, when we began collecting in 1980, we had typewriters and um, cameras and... Uh, no idea of the of the technology we have today. Yeah. So, I so I can't I can't really um, share that feeling of what a new collector would feel like given all the choices available to them through mm -hmm. technology. Mm. Okay, what about for you, Patrick Ryan? Do you have anything to say about that? I think early on, Kim uh, just hit the issue on the nail, you know, uh, talking about buying work online. I think we all did that before COVID uh, and we continue to do that uh, now. For me, the main difference uh, are two things. Number one is the dollar figure, you know, uh, before we would not buy more substantial art online, you know, without seeing it. But now I guess we have to, you know, this could very well be the new normal. So, uh, we are venturing out, you know, to buying like a more substantial work. And the other thing would be uh, the medium of artwork, you know, uh, whereas uh, uh, it, it's 
more difficult to uh, buy sculptures uh, or paintings you know, without seeing the actual thing. I noticed that one particular medium did very well, you know, which is uh, like video, you know, video art. And, uh, and I think this, is, uh, uh, this could be the, the, the way to go. You know, uh, I just looked back recently, I bought like these are the video and they just look wonderful on, uh, on, the, on your screen. So <laughs> without motion. Uh, so this is the thing. I think, you know, uh, maybe video art would be, uh, uh, the growth would be accelerated by what's happening now. The perfect medium for it. Um, I wanted to pick up on, on the idea of looking at art online and in person because, you, you know, Art Basel um, opened this week, I guess, you know, with the online viewing rooms. Um, have you guys all gone in and kind of like taken a look? Uh, what has the experience been like? And of course, Patrick, if you could talk about unscheduled as well, if you've been or thought of going, that would be good too. Yes, I went to Unscheduled yesterday. It's a very happy occasion. Uh, uh, these big galleries come together at a very small fair. I think we're the first art fair to uh, be hosted, uh, you know, since the pandemic. Uh, so everybody's happy to greet each other. Um, it's a smaller art fair, but a very good quality. And it's a wonderful occasion to see old friends again. Uh, we need more initiatives like that. That sounds amazing. I mean, just to like have it in real life uh, as opposed to it being online. Um, Kim, do you think that's going to happen soon in Manila? You know, to be able to see art in person and, you know, to kind of engage with the community again and to see your friends and share, you know, your art collection. I hope so too. Um, that it really now only science will will be able to tell us what will happen next. Mm -hmm. It's so unpredictable. Yeah. We just recently eased up the restrictions in Manila, but uh, we're still not allowed to, to go out. And only people who, who are in essential services are able to go out. Mm. And uh, there's so many restrictions. Uh, we just found out that for us to be able to go to our farm, there were four permits that we needed. Gosh. And all of us would have to go to City Hall and present ourselves to get individual permits to leave our home and go to our farm, which is an hour and a half away. Okay. So still difficult. You know that in the last 50 years, there have been... No, in the last 20 years, there have been 50 viruses that have come up. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them still don't even have uh, vaccines for, like we still don't have the vaccines for MERS or SARS. So you never know what yeah. will happen. Absolutely. Um, what about for you, Ryan? I mean, today is the first day that we can go out to eat, um, to shop in Singapore. Yeah, uh, so I'm so happy. <laughs> this morning I was out furniture shopping and I was sending Patrick pictures. I was like, <laughs> and Patrick told me like, oh, so borrow the furniture at home. We need to get new stuff. All doing the same thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then we had to rush home for this. So, uh, yeah, some important things I want to talk about. Uh, yeah, so when this, uh, Singapore, today is the first day of phase two, uh, people can go out. So we are, we've actually been working on an exhibition that keeps being delayed. We actually want to be one of the first exhibitions to come back uh, 
when when yes. when this pandemic is sorted out and we are working like very closely with different groups of people to make that happen because okay. we think the kids and who who are our target audience they are hungry to see art they want to come out so sure. we're trying to be the first exhibition or one of the first exhibitions back and uh we're also thinking about having uh, to display part of our permanent collection uh, in the public. We haven't made this announcement. So we're working on have because in Singapore, it's hard to see a private collection that is open on a regular basis to the public, like in Miami, where, where these collectors have art spaces or museums or in other parts of the world. So we're also been, we've also been really busy trying to work on having a permanent showcase of our collection and also for rotating shows that I'm sure Kim and Patrick may, may want to come. So, we're, we're, we're actually secretly working on it. I don't know why I talked about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but going back to your point on Instagram, and, and I was thinking, because Kim was talking about buying from catalogs and all like in, in the past, I mean, on Instagram, I, I made an offer and I, I was talking to, to some uh, certain artists or some artists with regards to the Black Lives Matter movement. We wanted to or we were, we were going to help them because they were selling artworks and, and to fund their, their cause. And we were in communications about that recently. So that's super recent, but it, it escaped my, my mind. And in terms of the Art Basel viewing rooms and the viewing rooms experience, I, I had some press people uh, contact me about it, ask for, for my views. I'm sure Patrick and Kim had the same request. Uh, my, uh, how I did it was that I kept clicking through the different rooms and kept like clicking the back button like back, back, back and then it was, it was a little bit cumbersome but I think for new buyers of art, there's transparency because a lot of the prices are on there. When you go to an art fair, there are no prices on the wall and some people are too scared or too afraid to ask. And I think this is a big like obstacle that people are trying to overcome. Mm-hmm. But I understand if you put prices up, it looks really tacky. But if you don't, then it looks intimidating. And there's some like I think some laws in the United States that say that you have to write the prices of goods that you are selling. Maybe these prices are for like candy or whatever. Like if you sell things to supermarket, you have to put a price. But but some people say it applies to art as well. So so that's the thing. So I think that the new experience has transparency, but uh, for me, for someone who, who's been in this for, for a longer time, not, not as long as the other two, but longer than the newcomer, uh, I feel that I want to find out more about an artist than just like click and say, I want to buy this one. I want to know what has the artist been making? Are there a lot of similar works that he's been, that, that he has? So the online experience, no one's there to explain it to you. And sometimes it's a, it's a race. It's a race to buy it first. If not, someone else will buy it. So you want to find out more, you've got nobody to talk to. So, or talk to quickly, talk to quickly, because I'm sure we, we know some people who work in the gallery, but there's no one to talk to quickly to, if, with that kind of time pressure. So those are the limitations currently. Yeah. I, can, I can definitely relate to that because uh, for our collection, you know, being like the LGBTQ arts and artists, uh, it's almost impossible to walk into an art fair or have an overview online to find out exactly what is suitable. We need to talk to the galleries or even the artists, and that's not possible. You know? So uh, that, that's the main difference for us. It's, it's quite difficult. And, and, and these are relationships you have to nurture and cultivate over a long period of time. So I do look forward to like, things going back to some sort of normal eventually. Yes. Um, because, I mean, you still need that kind of like, in-person sort of interaction, right, to cultivate relationships. 
Um, I wanted to kind of go off tangent a little bit and ask you guys about your work with um, museums. Um, Kim and Patrick, I understand you're on the Asia Pacific Acquisitions Committee for Tate and Ryan, you're in the Guggenheim Museum's Asian Art Circle. Um, have you guys been active in these roles uh, during the pandemic? Patrick's on Guggenheim too. Oh, okay. Patrick. I missed that out. He's the expert. No. <laughs> so, have you guys been doing anything with these roles during the pandemic? Or if you could comment on how you think things are going to change, you know, after the pandemic? Tate uh, did a wonderful thing. Mm. They went on Zoom yeah. and presented um, what they'd been researching on for specific regions and what artists um, they were following and what works they considered were priority for acquisitions, etc. And for the first time, I felt really like a part of the, of the Tate family. Because I was not only able to participate in the Asia-Pacific Acquisitions Committee meeting, but I was allowed to participate in all the regional meetings. So I attended the uh, North Africa and the Middle East meetings, the South Asia meetings. I missed the Russia and Eastern Europe one last night, uh, Patrick, because I got confused with the time. <laughs> yeah, so, but it's been wonderful. and. Uh, one thing that they are going to give us more of in the future is um, virtual visits to artist studios. Oh. And I think that will be wonderful. Like there was a, a studio visit to Ed Duchesne's uh, studio in LA, uh, I think in February. And I would have loved to go, but I was afraid to because COVID was already starting then. So now if they are able to do virtual visits, I would go to all of them. Yeah, it seems that the pandemic has really motivated people to put things online and to, you know, kind of see how they can still share. Um, and that's a wonderful thing to see. Patrick, you had something to say? Yes, you know, um, while I enjoy what, like Kim said, the, the virtual visits and the Zoom meeting and all that, I think for me, the Tate experience is more than that because I enjoy thoroughly the uh, collector's home or the private tours of the museum, often led by the curator or the museum director uh, themselves, uh, and also special performance. So I really look forward to something, uh, the resumption of these activities, you know. Tay, especially, you know, there's a comradeship, you know, which I uh, don't often enjoy elsewhere. Uh, I mean, Guggenheim is a very wonderful group too, you know, which by the way, Kim mentioned about the uh, virtual visit, with Guggenheim, we have a, a, a virtual visit with Victoria Sin, you know. So I think these are professional and they know how to pull everything together. So uh, yes, they're doing a wonderful job. Ryan, you want to jump in? I think I see a, a, a different perspective from the side of a collector, but also as a lawyer. So I get to see a lot of the, the, the behind the scenes. So from the behind the scenes look, uh, right now, I think there's this report that came out from ICOM, which is the, I think the International Council of Museums. Uh, we have, I, so, so what they said was that one in eight museums will never ever reopen after the pandemic. And I think there were other organizations that came out with even worse figures, like uh, one third of institutions and museums will never ever reopen. So I'm looking at things from from this perspective, and uh, I wrote uh, uh, an article about it that's going to come out, I think, in the July edition of Art Asia Pacific on how museums should like 
relook their their structure and how how artworks can be can be sold or, or do a session. I'm I'm saying because only like maybe one percent of the museum's collection is ever on show. I'm I'm sure Kim would know this. I mean they don't show the great C or great D Kusamas. They only show white infinity nets. So so museums should should look at that as a means of, of raising funds as well to keep themselves alive. Uh, so I think a lot of these rules were made in the past, like with the British Museum and things like that, where these museums were repositories of knowledge, where you would never release anything from the museums because you would lose knowledge or lose power or, or something like that. But in today, I think museums need to constantly uh, curate or, or to refine their collections, and, and that is a means of survival. So rather than just closing down, I mean, what good does closing down do for anybody? Mm. So, yeah. Which is all the more reason to appreciate these like new innovative initiatives, like uh, Kim mentioned about like virtual visits of uh, artist studio, and uh, I also uh, want to mention this um, uh, initiative by Parasite, which is like a paid visit to uh, artists. You know, these are emergent artists. You know, and because some financial subsidy. And I was thinking that the other group of people that suffer most from COVID, besides younger artists, you know, uh, could be the curators, you know, mm -hmm. something to curate, you know. And I was wondering if somebody could organize a curator's tour, you know, uh, could be a paid tour. And then I would be very happy to join some of the curators to walk through the uh, many virtual exhibitions. That's something that came to my mind. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, I'm glad that you guys are talking. Oh, Kim, you wanted to say something? Yeah, among, among the biggest victims also of this COVID are the emerging artists. Yes. You know, my son was telling me about an artist friend of his who was going to have a very important, for him, exhibition in New York. It was going to be about all his new works, etc. And then the exhibition was cancelled. Mm. So you, you can imagine how devastating that is for an artist's career, yeah. especially if, as Ryan said, a lot of uh, people are closing down, then there will be less and less exhibitions mm -hmm. and less opportunities for these emerging artists to show. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I'm glad that we're on this topic because I wanted to ask you guys, you know, what cracks has the pandemic thrown up of the art ecosystem? I mean, you've already identified a couple. Um, you know, what do you think needs to be changed or do you think things in the global art world will be significantly different when the crisis ends? Because I know everyone's talking about, oh, you know, it's going to go back to normal or the new normal. What does that look like for the art world, do you think? Well, um, I mentioned about video art, you know, I, I believe that this is something that will blossom. Uh, and I believe that like online museum, online show would be here to stay. Mm -hmm. uh, I see it more as a parallel to the, the real visiting, visiting, you know, uh, nothing beats like experiencing art face to face. So, uh, but I see that more as a, a tool that parallel with these uh, events. Uh, but talk about cracks, you know, besides what uh, Kim mentioned about emerging artists, I think also the performance artists, you know, mm -hmm. probably suffer most because uh, not only they won't get paid for the performance, they may not even be able to find a venue for rehearsal. So these are, um, you know, uh, friends and artists that I can think of. Yeah, so that's something that came to mind. Mm. What about you guys, Kim and Ryan? 
any other cracks that you have observed, you know, or, you know, even if things are um, not as dire as we, we think they may be, what do you think needs to be changed? Or what do you think hope, what do you hope to change like um, with the art world moving forward? Because I think this has been a time of reflection for everyone. I really like this panel because we are looking at, like, at, the, at the whole ecology and how all the different people and we, we care about them who, who are involved in this whole thing. I mean, like, we, we just form part of it. I mean, our, our passion, our enjoyment and our, um, our work. I mean, we, we depend on all these different groups that, that make up this thing called an art world. So, so I, I, I think uh, I, I'm, I'm so happy to, to speak with, with all of you. And uh, I think there are structural problems. I mean, the whole world has to adjust to this new normal of a post-COVID uh, world. But uh, I think a lot of structural changes and reckoning and, and deep thinking needs to happen. I mean, whenever Adrian and I, or, or we think, or, or the foundation, we think about something, we, we always like to think about what's happening in our home country, in our backyard first, before we, we move into the international. So I'm even thinking about things like, say, like human barracks. I mean, we, we need to know like whether, uh, how, how this could be improved, or, or, or how are the galleries they're doing, or how can, how can there uh, be maybe even structural changes or how the place can, can, can flourish. Mm. I, I mean, it's a fantastic place to display art and I think more people should, should go there and I have great faith in it. And I think that things like that, uh, I, I wrote to the, to the newspaper, to the forum page of the Straits Times saying that Gilman Barracks should soldier on together with the NTU Center for Contemporary Art, which has so great shows. I mean, it, showed, it, it displayed the Guggenheim's a show when it, when it first acquired Southeast Asian works for the first time with the UBS initiative. And, and the Guggenheim also showed, not the Guggenheim, the, the NTU Center for Contemporary Art also showed uh, Joan Jonas' pavilion at the Venice Biennale. The whole pavilion was brought over and they had a big like monographic show of Thomas Serestino. I mean, we have great things here. People need to go and see these things. So, so I feel that, that precincts, art precincts, they need to, to think uh, how, how we, we, we should continue to have them post-pandemic and how, how we can reach audiences. I'm not even talking about new audiences. I'm, even, I'm talking about the people who are here and how we should, should reach out. So, so I, I think there needs to be a lot of structural changes. Oh, and I'm sure the galleries are facing it as well mm -hmm. and about how to sell art in this new landscape. And I'm sure Patrick can, and Kim can, can speak more about that. I think there will be some changes that will be good. Like uh, Tate mentioned that they will have only 30% of their normal audience daily. So when God gives us lemons, we make lemonade. Mm -hmm. Because the people, the 30% who are able to go in, will have a fantastic experience, right? I mean, I used to remember going to Florence and Venice when I was a little girl and, and being able to go into the churches and see everything and not have so many people. Now you can't even come close to those churches because there's a line that's one kilometer long. You know, so before all the hordes come back and go, go do their tour things, it's best that we take advantage of them. And if there will be less people entering the museums at any one time, I think it will enhance everybody's museum experience. And don't you guys think that there were just way too many art fairs before the world came to a halt? I mean, there yes. was like a migratory pattern, you know, like we just yes. couldn't have 
enough time to do everything. So maybe it's a good thing to slow down, you know, and be more selective and go to the ones that we really, you know, are important. <laughs> so that, that's how I feel. Actually, sorry. Go ahead. Last year, there was already the um, JOMO movement coming out, right? Of missing out. The, the FOMO is fear of missing out. Yeah. That's why all these collectors travel from this place to that place. It's, it was a frenetic pace of art collecting and art viewing. And sometime last year, people started feeling really exhausted. And that's when this JOMO came up joy of missing out <laughs> so i actually told myself even before the year ended that i was going to go the jomo mode and thankfully covid made it possible yeah agree um okay so i think that's all the questions i have but we have some questions from our audience now that i would like to put to you guys um so valerie c is asking about your thoughts on blue chip art investing versus supporting emerging artists. Is there or has there been a shift in your personal preference at this time? Well, my personal preference in this time, and I also expressed it to Tate, is to collect living artists. Hmm. And, and all things being equal, we give the support to the living artists that requires financial assistance the most. So maybe the dead artist's works can wait. Okay. And, and I absolutely agree because, uh, especially with Sun Kai Foundation, you know, we collect art you know, with a theme. Uh, so it really doesn't matter whether it's blue chip or it's, it's not even an investment. So we do tend to support more younger and emerging artists. So yes, that is what we plan to do. So I'm very good. <laughs> Okay, and I have another question from Dwi Setio Wibowo. Um, I think we did talk about this a little bit earlier, but I just want to push it uh, further. So um, the question is, is Instagram artist initiative movement, artist, uh, hashtag artist support pledge, um, is to help other artists abroad. Artists are also collecting and buying artworks from other artists at affordable prices. Um, do you feel now that, you know, you, you feel this impetus to kind of like um, do more fundraising efforts or, you know, to kind of gather people together to really look at how to support emerging artists? Definitely. We have um, some artists that we collect that we know are in financial trouble and we are now looking at which of their artworks we can buy just to help them out. Mm. And I think every little bit helps, you know, um, uh, you know, I mentioned that we are helping, uh, you know, some emerging artists and performance artists, especially, uh, but I also want to point out some very great efforts, you know, um, that has come out of this pandemic, you know, uh, for example, the galleries, big galleries like Swerner has a platform to help smaller galleries. And likewise, there's like artists like Wolfgang Tillmans who have this Solidarity 2020, where you buy posters, you know, and these are big name artists like Jeff Koons, Nan Golden, you know, and then you get to own something, you know, and you pay a small price and it goes to whichever organization that you want to help. So these are very good initiatives and we need more innovation like that. Yeah. I'm also seeing a lot of like grounds up kind of efforts. Um, so I have a question now from Henny Scott. Um, she's mm -hmm. asking, do you think artist collectives will thrive more post um, the pandemic? 
I beg your pardon. Oh, sorry, I can repeat that. Um, Henny Scott is asking, do you think artist collectives will thrive more post-pandemic? Well, there, there was a big article, right, about artist collectives doing so well nowadays. Well, Rang Rupa, for example, is uh, doing Documenta in 2022, and that's going to be extremely exciting, and it will coincide with Venice Biennale as well because Venice Biennale has been moved to 2022. Um, and then other artist collectives have been coming up. I know that my, my son is part of an artist collective. He's, uh, it's Amy Lian and Enzo Camacho. And they have on, on their uh, agenda already four Biennales, Triennales to participate in. For this year and next, there's the Manifesta that's going to be in Marseille in October. And then they've been invited to the new museum in New York City for the uh, Triennale, the Triennale of Kagoma, Asia Pacific Triennale, and the Biennale in Ireland. So I think um, there is now an acceptance, a greater acceptance of artist collectives. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have one question from um, Amira Velda Priono. She's talking about how you know she's really enjoyed looking at virtual museums and art galleries on Google Arts and Culture, um, but she's kind of noticing that there aren't that many partnerships with uh, galleries and museums in Southeast Asia. So she's wondering whether you know it would be good to have you know such a network um, online to showcase artworks from Southeast Asia. And I know all of us have links to Southeast Asia. I mean, Patrick, you just had your um, exhibition at um, the BACC in Bangkok. So what do you guys think about um, her suggestion? Well, I think Hong Kong is doing something like that, but not Southeast Asian artists, you know, Tai Tai Kun, you know, uh, Contemporary Art Museum is hosting this art fair unscheduled. So I think uh, it would be nice to see something similar in Singapore, Philippines, or other parts of Asia. Yeah, for sure. And okay, well, I guess I have one last question. I mean, it's a Friday evening. So I think, you know, let's end on something fun. Um, we have a question from Michael Chen. Um, he's asking, what is the first place you travel to uh, once the travel restrictions have been eased? I guess to look at art, where would you guys go to first? Me, I would go to Marseille to see my son's work in the Biennale. And then maybe because, and I think Freeze has not cancelled, no? Patrick, has Freeze cancelled? I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. So maybe from there, if Freeze has not cancelled, then go to London or Fiac in Paris if they've not cancelled. And uh, catch as many museum shows as I can. Mm. What about for you, Patrick? My first place to visit is Kim's home to see all these wonderful But apart from Kim's home, I also want to see Li Ming Wei. He has a show, one of my favorite artists. He has a monograph at Gopius Bao. Yes. And also he's supposed to have a, a work, a, a performance called Labyrinth which was supposed to be part of the Tate 20th anniversary celebration. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, that was canceled. And these are things that I would love to go back, you know, to see as soon as possible. Patrick, why is that exhibition so, so short? It finishes on July 12th. Yeah, I hope that it, because it started on schedule in March uh, and usually once for a few months, but nowadays a lot of these exhibition 
somehow get longer period. And I hope that would be the case for uh, OPS BOW2. Mm. What about for you, Ryan? Where would you travel to? Oh, uh, I want to go to the Kochi Binale if it hasn't been cancelled. I think that's going to be very exciting. I think the Bangkok Binale has just announced that it's back on track, or it was always on track. So I'm excited to go for that. Uh, so we've been talking about it. I think they announced on Instagram like two days ago. Uh, but we also like to go to Argentina. I mean, we were making plans to go there because our other friend Benedicta invited us. But then after that, they said, oh, they wouldn't accept any of you because, <laughs> because South America was like trying to keep the coronavirus out at that time. So, so it got cancelled, but uh, those and are the places that we want to go. Your next exhibition, you should let us know as early as possible. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, so we are planning. So I hope Thank all you. our all our travel dreams come true very soon. Um, on that note, I want to thank you, Kim, Patrick, and Ryan, for joining me today. And thank you to everyone tuning in for spending the past hour and the past week with us. This concludes Pivot, the Art and Market Conference on the Southeast Asian Art World Beyond COVID-19. Thank you so much to all our panelists and audience for joining us over the last five afternoons. In case you have missed any of the panel discussions, you can watch the full recordings and read our takeaways on artandmarket.net slash pivot. Cheers, everyone. Happy Friday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Kim. Stay safe. Thank you. And so the next time we meet, hopefully soon and in person. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. Stay safe, everyone.